in the blink of an eye, that's where we're going to be in that empty nest stage. And the good news is, unless she's telling you something different, we still like each other. <laughs> and that's a good thing. We talk, we talk about this all the time, that we can't imagine um, how miserable and kind of scary this season of life that we are rushing in toward, what that would look like if we didn't get along and if we didn't enjoy each other's company. And we talk about this a lot. We've been talking about a lot of these kinds of things lately. And I think that we made, we made one fundamental decision very early in our marriage and in the life of our family that gave us direction um, as it relates to where we are today. When Ben was still in a car seat, Alethe and I were in full-time youth ministry, and we were attending a youth ministry conference in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And it was a conference for youth ministers. For once, no teenagers around. And so we got a babysitter. Just write that down. Got a babysitter, because I'd like to introduce some people to that concept. We got a babysitter. And after the years of therapy, Ben's you know, adjusted. But we got a babysitter. And we took off for a couple of days, and we had like an eight-hour drive to this conference. And since we knew we had a good amount of time to, and distance to drive, it was just going to be the two of us, we, um, we planned to have some intentional conversation. In fact, we worked on some questions that we wanted to talk to each other about, and we worked on some topics that we wanted to flesh out together. Um, and that's exactly what we did for those eight hours each way. Some of the questions were hard. Some of the discussion was even harder. And as we talked about the big picture, overarching life goal kind of topics, um, I'm a goal setter. And I don't, um, I've been, I have been since I was a kid. And I'm not sure if it was instilled in me in my uh, Christian school experience and a curriculum where you set personal goals every day, every week, every quarter, or if I thrived in that setting because I was a natural goal setter. I'm not sure which came first, maybe a little of both, but I'm a goal setter. In fact, I'm sure while we were having some of those conversations driving down the highway, this was 1994, no, I didn't have a GPS, and I don't think anybody did, or smartphones, and I'm sure in, while we're having these conversations, I'm sure in my mind, I was calculating the distance left to travel and the speed at which I was traveling, allowing for an occasional rest stop, calculating an estimate time of arrival, because I'm a goal setter, and I like to know where I'm going, and I like to have an idea of when I'm going to get there, when I'm going to arrive at my destination, and with that information, information, I can determine the route that I need to take to get there. I know you're thinking it. I'm a nerd. I'm okay. I own that, okay? So anyway, on this trip, it was 1994. I think it was in the winter of 94. Ben was about a year old. One of the things we talked about was let's establish some family goals. What's the end game? This wasn't the first time we talked about this. We talked about this before we got married, but we wanted to get really intentional about that. It was the first time we'd really sat down since we were actually now a family to be specific and try to articulate what the end game picture looked like for us. And we decided that in the end, what we wanted was healthy relationships with our adult children. That when our children are old enough not to have to be with us, that they would want to be with us. And we felt like if the time came that, you know, after the kids didn't need to be with us and they still liked to be with us, that that was the bullseye on the relational target. And in addition to talking about the long-range goals, we talked about what's it going to take then to get to where we want to be as a family. That's the question. Um, we were doing, I guess we were doing strategic planning before we knew what strategic planning was. And after hours of conversation, we determined that for us, the most critical component to get where we wanted to be as a family, to get to where 
uh, this most important value in the life of our family to take us where we wanted to be, we determined it was respect. Dad respecting mom, mom respecting dad, kids respecting mom and dad, mom and dad respecting kids, and kids respecting each other. Respect for the place that we filled in the life of the local church, respect for the heritage and the legacy that had been handed down to us, just respect. And every once in a while, I'm just kind of struck with, God, by your grace and your mercy, this is the experience right now, is the experience that 20 years ago we had hoped would be the case. Not only have we, you know, as we navigated just the normal issues of parenthood, but the specific challenges when it came to being a pastor's family and raising kids in a fishbowl that is the local church, no matter the size. So I'm excited about this stage of, of the life of our family, and I've been excited about every new stage in the life of our family, and I'm discovering that each new stage is better than the stage before. And so I give Alethea so much credit, and I give God so much credit for our experience as a family you know, so far. So what I want to do today is I want to give you a few statements that you can write down. And we've handed out handouts. And if you didn't get one, I'm, are there a few more? Are there a few more back on the table, Chris? Do you know? Okay, there's a few more back there if you didn't get one. And uh, it's probably too dark for you to even see anyway. So we'll just post this finished outline on, the, on Facebook and you'll be good. So, um, so I'm going to give you some statements. But before I do, I want to, uh, I had some time to talk with some people this week about family and the role of family in their lives. And I'd like you to watch this. I would say I call my father almost every day. I do. Um, at least once a day. And I tell him all the stuff that I can't really tell anybody out. Sometimes it's it's stuff that I'm proud of that, that my husband does or my kids do, but it's my father. <laughs> um, I regularly go to my mother for parenting advice. I put a lot of faith into her ability to raise me <laughs> I gave her a lot of trouble. So I, I go to her um, quite often, but I also go to a, a close cousin and my sister. I uh, always go to my dad uh, for advice. Uh, he was very strict and, and he taught me discipline. Uh, and he's very wise. And I know that um, whether it be money, values, morals, um, God, uh, he always has the right answer and is very comforting to me. I have such a large family that my relationships with my extended family have really shaped me pretty much to know that no matter what happens, I'll always have support behind me. I always know that I can go to somebody when I need uh, help with something or advice with something. Uh, I also feel like I'm really, really lucky. And it actually really makes me happy and emotionally welled up because not everybody has that. And, and my mother had eight brothers and sisters, and my dad had three brothers and sisters, and all four grandparents, you know, up till recently were all alive in Ellsworth. And, um, it's really shaped me to be happy and to be uh, grateful and to be um, just very humble in the fact that I have that. I feel very lucky. Um, we all stay in touch with one another and we communicate and support one another. I, I really feel blessed that we were brought up 
the way we were through our grandparents, our extended family, our cousins as we celebrate this weekend. And um, it's important because when it all comes down, it's about family. My relationship with my parents um, and my grandparents, because they all had a lot to do with my raising, and my relationship with God helped me to know that um, with faith and trust in God that, that I could do anything. And a prayer is a big deal. And after my current situation, everything I went through in the last two years, it really became important for me to um, pull back and, and have that faith and have that trust. But also, my mother really taught me that with, uh, with my faith, it gave me the confidence to do anything, but it's up to me to do those things. We would go on these family retreats with them, and um, back then, we always had a foundation of God. My father probably is the most powerful Christian figure in my life. I am in awe at all the things that I've seen him do, so it, it was almost like we grew up as Christians in a new whole dimension of Christianity than, than we were as Catholics. And I feel like, you know, we're on the same page. My family um, is very welcoming and very uh, forgiving for mistakes that one has made in life and very welcoming to people from, from all over. I mean, with a large family, we have so many different personalities and so many different lifestyles um, in, in a huge broad sense. So um, my, my family, my, my four grandparents in particular, were always very welcoming. And even if they didn't necessarily agree with a lifestyle choice, they still loved that grandchild or that child because it, that was part of their family. Uh, it, it's loving each other. Um, the, the, the grace of loving and caring and, and acceptance. Actually both. Regret that I didn't, I didn't uh, really, as I grew wisdom, uh, I learn, I see now what they were trying to teach. Relief is knowing um, I can always come to them and they accept me as who I am. I look back at my parents and I wish that I had listened to the things that they had said. They, they um, whether it be about choices that I made, we friends that I had, and I actually use that as um, advice to give to kids that, you know, your parents are right. They see you from a perspective that you don't yet have on yourself. And they just want you to make right choices. They see, I guess, in us that the same thing I see in my parents, that we're were together through thick and thin. They and they just bottom line is, is I know that they know that we love each other. And you, when you come from good, you 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 even elaborate on that and and you take it up a notch. I think. We're JF and Sue Burns, and uh, we have a blended family. We have nine children all together, uh, five of which have uh, lived with us as a couple. Or six, yeah, you could say six also. 
and uh, the children now range in age from 38 to 27. 26. 26, okay. <laughs> I can tell you all the ages. I'm, I'm close, <laughs> I'm close, okay. One of the biggest things for me, uh, for both of us really, is we got involved with their activities. Uh, we, our, our family is strong in athletics, but there were other activities also that uh, we would uh, get very much involved in. Uh, I must say we weren't very excited when they say our game this week's in Caribou, uh, but uh, we were always there uh, attending their activities, attending their events, and also getting involved with, with those events. Uh, I think one other thing that we did is, is at the dinner table. We, we were at the dinner table a lot. And, and I think that's very important. I think that's one thing America, frankly, has lost. And we'd always ask the question, what was the best part of your day? What I felt as a mother was to not judge my children, not judge their friends, and also to be kind and open and, and, and loving. My daughter actually said, well, mom, what I think impacted me the most was your kindness and your non-judgmentalness. And for JF was always being there and caring and, and being there when needed. Um, and I, I think that, it, and it wasn't perfect, but we did our best. We, we tried to be there as imperfect parents. I think one thing that they always saw was, was church was a priority. I, I think they also saw that we, we tried and, and obviously we weren't perfect, but we practiced what we preached and we, you know, we walked the walk and I think that's the important because especially with, with many of the children, they saw me every day as a high school teacher. If I had five of them in the high school at the same time and they would, you know, they would see and they, I, we, I would get critiqued every, every night at the dinner table. So. Uh, yeah. I, I think that was an important thing. And I think as they grew older, I think it's important too, they realized we weren't perfect, but we walked the walk. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the real key. Well, and, and I, the thing that I feel to add, you know, for that, but also in, in their lives from the beginning is they saw us go through some difficult times. And, and you know, whether it was involving them or not involving them, God was there. And so God has been there in our life through the, the thick and the thin. My kids, I think, see, have seen in me kindness and loving, like, and it can almost be, it's, it's like to ask God, okay, how do I be, when do I stop, when do I be tougher? But, you know, being able to love them and their friends and bad circumstances, having grace and mercy in it. And I think my children have seen me maintain the walk no matter what, what has happened in life. They lost their mother to cancer. Uh, I've gone through a major explosion at a chemical plant where I lost four employees. So, so these are things they saw that even though there were some very, very hard times, we've always continued and trusted in God and knew God's will was the key. our kids know that we pray for them, that they can come to us for prayer in, in anything. That's the part of it, that we're there to pray. And God is who is there for us. 
they know we, we love them, we pray for them regularly, and they know they can come and, and make a call and, and they'll get a prayer from us. And I think that's very important. Well, thank you to everybody who took part in that. Give them a hand, would you? Thank you. Nobody got any softball questions there, so thank you for giving that some thought and sharing that with us. Let's look at our, uh, look at our handouts, and I'm going to give you uh, five uh, statements. And they aren't necessarily all related to each other, but they're all related to life as, as family. So number one, here we go, is you have to decide once and for all what is your primary responsibility. What is your primary responsibility? And we talked a few weeks ago um, here, it was on, back on Father's Day, in my message I called Cheater, Cheater, Pumpkin Eater. If you weren't here for that, you've got to get the CD. There are a few of them left, I think, on the table, because you've got to listen to that, and you ought to sit right down this afternoon with your spouse and listen to it and talk about it and have some really difficult conversation and some uncomfortable conversation, because uh, it, it'll change your life. It's really, really that important, and that was a little exaggerated. Anyway, I, ta- I talked at length. I do believe that some of the things we talked about that Sunday on Father's Day are really, really some of the most important things we can talk about. And so for the sake of everything that's really important, we ought to have these conversations. So I talked at length on that Sunday, um, and I won't stay here long on this one because we've been there, but we were never called to love our jobs like Christ loved the church. We were never called to love our careers like Christ loved the church. We were never called to love our 401ks like Christ loved the church. We were never called to love our position and our authority and our responsibility like Christ loved the church. And sometimes we get this all upside down. Men, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5, he said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I've discovered that much of what is written in the New Testament as instructions for husbands and wives can be turned around and reciprocated. So wives, you ought to love your husbands as Christ loved the church. Men, you ought to, get this one, maybe ought to submit to your wife. Ephesians 5 says to submit to one another. One another out of reverence for Christ. So, and I've wrestled with this, and I have, uh, I tell you what, if you work for a nonprofit or you work in a community service-oriented job, you know especially what I'm talking about, because in my line of work, it's really easy to say, yeah, God, I got this stuff at church, but you know about that because I'm doing your work, God. And so, you know, and so-and-so really needs me, and I've got to do this better, and I want to honor you with excellence as I define excellence. So I've got to work harder on this, and I've got to work harder on that. And so I know that maybe I won't have as much time. You know, the kids are probably wondering where I am, and my wife is holding supper for me, and I really... Well, even for me... My job, my responsibility as a pastor in this church, that's not my primary responsibility. It should never be the primary object of my affection. So first of all, decide what's your primary responsibility. Number two, I'm going to help you with that. Don't give up what's unique to you for something someone else will do. Don't give up what's unique to you for something someone else will do. Let me get real specific. Think about your responsibilities in your workplace. Someone had those responsibilities before you. And or somebody will have them after you. You're like, when I started my business, okay, then someone will have it after you. Your responsibilities in your workplace are not unique to you. 
There are other people doing the same thing in the office next door, in the department down the hall, or in a similar work environment across town or in some other town. It's not unique to you. Your only unique responsibility is what you do at home. My only unique responsibility in life is my role as father to my children and Alethea's first husband. If I kick off this afternoon, she could get another husband. See what I'm saying? What did, you, did my mother say that's for sure? Did you say that? <laughs> that's not right. My, I am my kid's only father. So why in the world would I give up what is unique to me for something that someone else can do? Because someday there'll be a different pastoral team leading this church. And it's a big-time horrific mistake to trade in your relationships at home for a job that you could lose tomorrow because of health issues or because of economic issues or because of something you have no control over. At some point, you're not going to do that job anymore. Some of you work so hard and you sacrifice so much just looking forward to the day you don't have to do the job anymore because the harder you work, the faster you get to the point where you don't have to do the job anymore. But at some point, you're not going to be doing that for whatever reason, and you'll be sitting at home with either the family you invested in or you'll be sitting at home wishing you had invested in your family way back when. Deuteronomy 6 says this. These are the words of Moses. These are the commands, decrees, the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. He says, so that you, your children, and the children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Listen, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. So never trade what's unique to you for something someone else will do. And besides that, and this is kind of a big legacy thought, and I don't know if you ever have those big legacy thoughts. I know you do when you sit at someone else's funeral. Those are the only times I kind of tend to think about that. But listen, your greatest contribution may not be something you do, but someone you raise. If you're a stay-at-home mom, I guarantee you've had those moments or those days or those weeks where you've wondered, what in the world am I doing? You know, what difference am I making? Let me just tell you, your greatest contribution may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Think about that legacy. And it's not just the generation growing up in your home. For some of you, your grandchildren will be the greatest contribution that you make to this world. And the way that you raise your kids and the investment you make in your kids sets them up to raise their children to be the greatest contribution to your community and to the kingdom of God. Number three, discipline with the goal of preserving your relationship, not your reputation. I need to explain that one probably. But discipline your kids with the goal of preserving your relationship, not your reputation. Let me read a few verses here. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son that he delights in. Ephesians 6 says, Parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3, Parents, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. So don't raise your children with your reputation in mind. Don't discipline your children with your reputation in mind. Ever heard a parent disciplining a child and say something like out in public and say something, stop it, you're embarrassing me. Ever heard that? And I'm always like, no, you're embarrassing yourself pretty much. 
I'm a little embarrassed right now, you know? Uh, you're the adult, stop it, you're embarrassing. So you discipline with the relationship in mind, not your own reputation. Because remember, the end goal for family is about healthy relationships. That's the win. And regardless of what you think about your family right now, regardless of what's going on in the life of your family right now, time will come when you either have healthy relationships with your grown kids or you don't. And if you don't, at that point, it's pretty tough to go back and do things the way you should have done it. It's a reaping and sowing principle. Number four, prioritize your marriage on your calendar, not just in your heart. Everybody's marriage is a priority in their heart. You don't get any points for that, okay? But nobody can see your heart, including your spouse. All they know is what happens during the day and over the course of days and weeks and months. So prioritize your marriage on your calendar. Um, take these verses in Philippians 2 and apply them to your, to your marriage. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So prioritize your marriage on your calendar. For some of you, every year you need to carve out a weekend trip away without the kids. Doesn't have to be extravagant. You don't have to travel far. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Even when your kids are little, or I would say especially when your kids are little, when you hate to drive off and leave them and you feel guilty and you worry and your wife's crying and all that, but make it a priority to leave your children and invest some time in your marriage relationship. For a long time, I was so naive that I thought this was normal. That I thought somehow that, you know, Alethea and I just, just did this from the beginning of our marriage. It's, we would go away, just the two of us. We'd go to St. John or Portland, two or three hours away. We'd leave the kids with somebody, anybody that would take them. And uh, with mom and dad or with a babysitter. For the last few years, we've been able to leave them by themselves, which is a very cool stage to be in. And we've been doing this for so long that I've always thought this was normal. I just thought this is what married people do. It's what parents do to keep sane, you know. But lately, I've discovered that that's not necessarily so. I've talked to some people who've been married for years and years, and they have kids, and they have vacation time, and they never, have never been away without their kids. I, I didn't know you're even allowed to do that. <laughs> so you've got to prioritize not just your children, okay? But you've got to prioritize your marriage on your calendar. I said a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again because I believe it's true, that the greatest gift you can give your children is a healthy marriage. And your marriage will go a long ways in determining the personal security of your children. And someday, someday sooner than you think, it's just going to be the two of you. And if you don't like each other, and if you don't enjoy each other's company, it's going to be awkward and ugly. And to wait and deal with that when the day comes is way too late, trust me, it's over. Number five, say no for now but not forever. Say no for now, but not forever. This is huge. At different seasons of life, in the life of your family, there are certain things you have no business doing. The, but the problem is, when we think about, you know, stop doing certain things at certain seasons, we feel like it's a loss forever. Essentially, there are four stages of family life. Let's put them up there, Kelly, if you would. There are four stages. There are probably more, but for this morning, we're going to say there are four stages of family life. Here's the thing. 
there are things in each season of life that you should say yes to, and there are things in each season of life that you should say no to. And so you would say no in this season, but not necessarily forever. So for some of you, this ought to impact hobbies, okay? It means you can say yes to whatever you want hobby-wise right over here. You can go golfing, you can go fishing, you can go shopping, you can go gambling, whatever your hobby is. Uh, you can do that whatever, anytime, any weekend, just, you know, whatever, fine. That's something you can just say yes to all day long. But you've got to say no over here for now. Say no for now. Oh, and you actually probably ought to still say no over here for the most part. Uh-huh. You, I mean, you can do maybe a little bit more here than you did here, but just say no for now, and no for now, and then here, man, you're living it up. Um, <laughs> since Alethea and I have been a, Alethea's been a stay-at-home mom, and on top of that, we homeschooled our kids. So what she could say yes to here, she had to say a categorical no to here. There was just no question. Um, and then once our kids got to be here, oh, baby, once they got to be here, no, I'm just kidding, it's great. Uh, once our kids moved from here to here, she could occasionally say yes to some things. And it won't be long till we're over here, and she's just out drinking coffee with her friends all day, every day. <laughs> so, just remember to order her decaf, please. <laughs> when you get to this stage, you can start to say yes to some things that you had to say no to here. Does that make sense? Some of you experienced this. You can kind of look back and say, yes, I didn't do that on purpose, but now I see that that is the case. You could work all the overtime they would give you here, but then this stage, that's got to change. You might have to say no to some opportunities. You might have to say no to a promotion. You might have to say no to more hours. And even though you really feel like once you've made the jump from here to here that you could really use the extra money right about now, have you seen the price of diapers? But (laughs) I, I would just encourage you to keep saying no. Oh, then the temptation is once we get here, we're like, okay, I can say yes to everything again because nobody in my home wants me around anyway. I'm not even welcome in my own home anymore. I would just say force your way in and just keep saying no to the things you've got to say no to so you can say yes to this stage of your life. Oh, and here's the good news. When you get here, you can work three jobs just to pay off all the debt that you've accumulated here and here. Okay? Have fun. If you get this, this, and this, you get these three right, this has so much potential. It has so much potential for good. Because you haven't said no forever. You've just said no for, for now. And actually looking forward to the next season of life when you can start to say yes to some of the things that you've had to say no to. So I just want to encourage you to get in the habit of saying no for now, but not forever. You know what that would do for some of you in your marriages? It, it, it would reduce a lot of conflict. Here's the thing, if I could just get to the bottom line, and I'm going to wrap up. Nobody at home should feel like they're competing with somebody at work. Nobody at home should feel like they're competing with somebody at work. And the challenge with this is that the nobody is the somebody to you, and the somebody rarely even has a name. 
And I understand there are busy seasons, you know, for just about everyone in our area, July, August, September, it gets busy. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe you're the rare person that it slows down for you in the summertime. But nobody in your family should feel like they are perpetually competing uh, for your time and attention. And if you get this right, the payoff is huge. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things that we tend to worry about will be added to you. In other words, order your world around the priorities of your heavenly father. And then trust him to fill the gaps that are created by your faithfulness. Seek him first. Live according to his unchanging priorities and his principles. And I promise you that you'll discover that you, when you prioritize according to the values of scripture at home and in your marriage and in your relationships with your children, in your relationships outside the home, at work and at school, God will honor you in all those areas of your life. And everybody wins. And God is honored. And his kingdom on earth benefits from your faithfulness. My hope for you and my prayer for your family is this, that when you get to the season of life that nobody has to come home, that they'll want to come home. And if you get there and that's not the case, uh, there isn't a whole lot you can do to fix that. It's either, either it is or it isn't. But if you'll invest in these principles now, you'll reap the benefits and perhaps enjoy them for the rest of your life. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, this is a lot easier to talk about than to actually do. This is a lot easier to sit in agreement or to read in a book somewhere and nod along and say, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's good stuff. So God, I pray that in your grace you would show us how to work these principles into the lives of our marriages and our families. God, I'm aware that for a lot of people, conversations like this bring up a lot of hurt. They bring up a lot of regret. God, I pray that you'd minister healing there. You'd bring them to a place of forgiveness. I just pray that you'd give us wisdom to see what we need to do. Bless the sacrifices that are made in the lives of our families, those financial and career and education and relational sacrifices that are made for the sake of family. God, we know that you are, will bless that and honor that. And we'll give you the praise, God. And you'll be, we know you'll be honored when we order our lives in the way that you've called us to order them. May we be faithful like you've called us to be faithful. And as we consider what we're to do with what we know about family and what we know about marriage, what we know about children and parenting, God, we just acknowledge our dependence on you. We lean into you. We trust you. And we give you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand.